Today's podcast is brought to you by you guys. And all those people said I was crazy for building a full-size replica of Chateau Wraith in my cornfield. Who's laughing now? I built it, and you guys came. There is a Patreon page up. I recommend that over the old Acast route. It's much easier to use and better for literally everyone involved. Um, for anyone looking to join the fun a day early, and we'll get you a, a podcast was on fire, Dick Mark. And more importantly, you can join the rarefied air occupied by these wonderful, kind, perfect, amazing souls. PJ, Anna, Matthew, Kyle, Tia, Sam, Wizard Rodriguez, Crystal, and of course, Third Charm. You guys do not know what you mean to us. We appreciate you times a billion. Thank you so much to everyone, whether you're a supporter or not. Just being a listener, downloading the show, giving us a like is so amazing. And we appreciate you so much. Thanks for letting us talk Dresden, and more importantly, thanks for talking Dresden with us. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, we mash it all together like some Hawaiian macaroni salad. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> oh, it's all, I'm not a macaroni salad guy, but we never go to Hawaiian barbecue. I always get uh, all rice instead of the Mac. We put it together, try to find some insight for you. At the very least, find insight for me. And um, I enjoy that. <laughs> How you doing today, Liz? Doing all right. Had a long drive. You did, in fact. That's crazy. A longer plane ride tomorrow. Mm, about the same. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Long distance. Longer distance, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this a couple days earlier than usual. Because Lissy is going on a birthday t- trip to Kauai. The jelly, Liss. The jelly. That's very, very excited. And it's not like somebody's paying for me kind of birthday trip. It's a trip. I, I always take a trip around my birthday. <laughs> be much sure. cooler if somebody bought me a trip. That would be really neat. That's actually our, going to be our phase two of a Patreon. <laughs> Why do see a trip somewhere? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> only she only flies business class or above people <laughs> i don't even know if i've ever been inside a business class i may have walked through it oh i don't know <laughs> my way to economy you're rarely on planes big enough for anyone today we're looking at chunk three of book seven deadbeat Ooh, episode 7.3 that's the most important rule in the water polo rule book Advantage. <laughs> I digress. First hardcover novel in the series, and certainly an interesting one so far. And uh, how about you let us know where and how interesting things are, and then I'll get us into it. All right. Well, we have necromancers, we have Mavra, we have zombies, we have necromancers trying to find the the word, the books, the... There's a whole lot going on. 
Um, a word so Hamlet. at this point, yes, a word and the book. There's a book that everybody's after. The book is titled The Word of Kemlin. No, no, no. The other book. Oh, the other. Oh, yes, you're right. There are... The one the I lead, can't the say. The German title. Changed. I just can't say. I, I got you. There we go. Sorry. I just... There's the book. There's the word. There's the books. There's the zombies. There's the necromancers. And then How silly now. I was to doubt you, even for a moment. Well, you... And uh, Butters is back in the picture, but the... Uh, one of the zombie necromancer guys tried to go after Butters, so Butters is being protected at Harry's house. And Harry was told by Mavra, don't tell anybody anything, or she's going to send the incriminating photographs of Lieutenant Murphy to the law enforcement agencies, and she will lose her job and likely go to prison. And of course, she tells Thomas, because, I mean, you have to tell your brother, right? In my experience, your brother's either the first person you tell important stuff or the last person you want to know important stuff, depending on the <laughs> level and or the, uh, depending on what it's about. But uh, I digress. So, so we are back at Chateau Dresden after Thomas and Harry went for the run on the beach. They both cleared their heads and also Thomas kind of opened up a little bit to Harry about how much the hunger is causing life to be difficult for him day in and day out but they get back harry showers and he's getting ready to go check out the other sites of necromantic power that went on that we got on the map from mort our resident ectomancer who asked the spirits where dark voodoo is happening where the bad juju is and so harry's got a map of that so he leaves thomas to watch over butters who hasn't even woken up yet and thomas says nothing will touch him and Mouse settles down on the floor between Butters and the door as well. So we got the whole crew on staff here, ready to make sure that Harry's absence doesn't result in one dead foreigner. <laughs> he spends a lot of this chunk talking about the hardships he's having with the uh, giant SUV, which I love. Um, in this case, he just can't park anywhere. We already saw him knock out over his mailbox as he tried to park his own driveway. So he's not going to parallel park this gigantor. Um, so he mentions that he has to park far far away from anywhere just because he's got to get into a lot with space. Um, he took out a took out a mortgage to pay for his parking. Uh, I'd imagine parking in downtown Chicago not as cheap as you'd like it to be. Uh-uh. And all we see here is Harry has a strange feeling, which again is something we've seen throughout this novel, and I don't want to continue to harp on it too much. But everything's just a little bit off here. And we know that Dawn dispels most magic, except for really powerful stuff that might linger a little bit longer. And this is kind of that. There's, there's really powerful darkness that has just seemed to last a little bit longer than Sunrise has the power to break through that cutoff. And he said it feels vastly different than Gravain. So it's still black magic, but it was... It lacked the greasy, nauseating sense of corruption. Um, and we've seen different characters perceive evil as that greasy kind of description, um, whether it's a sound or a smell or a feeling, which is just... It's, it's, uh, it's a very distinctive vibe, mm -hmm. though. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. But he can't really figure out what, if anything, happened here. There's not really a whole lot of evidence to go on, so... He pretty much just hops back in the SUV 
and he heads to the next spot on his list. Um, really, we didn't learn much, except it's important to note that it was a different feeling than Gravain. So we know there's at least two different necromancy groups here. We, we know there's more than that, but uh, this is distinct from Gravain, especially. He doesn't mention how it compares to Cowl's magic, whether or not because, you know, so we don't know. Obviously, Cowl is sh shrouded in mystery um, beyond just this point, but he heads over to the Field Museum on Lakeshore Drive, and it's just north of Soldier Field. Um, I love that we're recording this paragraph in particular on a Saturday, on a Sunday rather, because he it says, and a he felt a brief flash of gratitude that things usually went to hell during the work week. If this had been a Sunday with the bears at home, I'd have had to park and then backpack in from Outer Mongolia. <laughs> as it was, I got a spot in the smaller parking lot in the same block as the museum, which cost me only a portion of the gross national income. As he's walking up to the entrance of the field museum, there are two patrol cars and an ambulance parked outside. And it says, this stop, this stop looked like it might be a bit more interesting than the last one. They just opened for normal visiting hours, and so he had to get himself a ticket. His wallet was getting even more anorexic than usual. He goes in, and the first thing we see is Sue, the largest, most complete preserved skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is very cool. One of the things I want to see in Chicago. Sounds awesome. I actually don't know what's cool, but I'm assuming it's cool. It sounds really cool, yeah. Yeah, right? Um, it's one of the uh, kind of feature exhibits at the Field Museum. They're very proud of it. There are only a couple other visitors there this early. He sees a man in a suit talking to a couple of uniformed cops. And as he heads over there, he's doing the casual, you know, holding a magazine upside down, walking close to them, <laughs> trying to listen in on their conversation. Obviously, we know he's very good at listening, so he doesn't have to be quite as conspicuous. But I just, that was the image I had in my head here. We learned the victim is a Dr. Bartlesby. And he says he was a crotchety old he was a crotchety old bastard. No one liked him much, but I don't know anyone who disliked him enough to kill him. Um, and the cops ask more questions, and so we, we and Harry learn he had two assistants, a grad grad students, a young woman, and a young man. All we know about them is that it's Alicia Nelson and a Chinese guy, Lee Sean or something. They had come in with the visiting professor, so they'd all been there for a couple months. And so, obviously, they are now persons of interest, right? Um, as the, and so, those seem to be the only people that really know him. Um, at least that's all we can glean from this conversation here. So, Harry decides to just pretend to be an employee, basically, and kind of hop under the caution tape and just look like he belongs. It's not even, it, he's, there's not even tape here. There's just a door at this point. Oh, I guess there wouldn't be caution tape at this part. Yeah. There, I think there is at the actual scene itself. Yes, there is. Apologies, but he uh, decides to go down there and just continue to investigate, which is what he does. So it makes sense. Miss it. And he says he kind of feels like he was getting lost down in the tunnels, all the hallways. He couldn't figure out where he needed to be until he found some crime scene tape. And that usually he hints at a crime scene. It suggests maybe. Um, but he, before he could see anything about the murder, he felt the necromantic power. And knew this was the right spot. Two cops come out of the room with a body in it. And they call up for Officer Rollins. Who's upstairs and they want him to come down and watch the site. And they're actually going to leave it 
for a couple. So Harry's going to get himself a, a couple minute window here between these cops leaving and Rollins finishing his conversation with Admin and getting back down here. So he uses that to sneak in. He doesn't go into the crime scene. He, he, he's well aware of chain of evidence and stuff like that um, because of all the work he does with SI. So he doesn't want to ruin the crime scene, but he wants to learn as much as he can. Um, so there's no body anymore, but it's stank of death. It's an elusive scent, something you get as a bonus to other smells rather than a distinctive smell of its own. And no, I do not want to know what you think. <laughs> death does have a very distinctive smell. As does blood. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, so speaking, oh, we're gonna get gross. Speaking up, now speaking up, the scents he's talking about; those are all very distinctive scents, and they're. I mean, it's a pretty good considering when we learn about what happened to this guy. All of those scents are pretty accurate, or at least the way he describes them sure are. Yeah, usually when there's discussions of gross stuff, my mind blanks out, so I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Look at, um, and, and I'm okay with that. So would he, he get a quick description, you know, large office shelves, filing cabinets, really nothing too exciting. Three desks, a small refrigerator. Um, it just looks like an office that smells like blood and gross mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, but everything had been splattered with blood and dark magic. There was still a pool of blood. Uh, most of it had dried out, but again, just awful, gross. There's a few smears of blood on the floor, but none very far away, which means basically he hadn't moved. He went, he was either held down or he bled out so quickly that he hadn't really had time to crawl away or do anything. There wasn't much blood on the ceiling, which suggests that there is blood on the ceiling. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so obviously it was a horrific scene and we just have kind of the echoes of it here. Uh, but we do also find one piece of, you know, potential evidence it's part of a footprint the heel of an, a small athletic shoe either a woman or a large child and for the sake of his ability to sleep at night he hopes it was an adult shoe and so beyond why it's gross and creepy in the mundane sense with you know a dead disgusting sense of awful body and gore is even more disturbing on the magical side of the spectrum there was a dark power that wasn't the pure silent cold he felt on on the sidewalk it was corrupt dark somehow mutilated there was a sense of malicious glee for the residue of whatever magic had been worked here someone had used their power to murder a man and they had loved doing it worse it was a distinctly different aura that I had felt near either Cowell or Gravain. So even though magical workings don't leave an exact fingerprint, um, she, it's a close you know, enough this, vibe. It's like three different sets of perfume that you kind of like, yeah. you vibe out of those seats. So we've got the guy in the morgue. We got the Gravain. We've got the sidewalk. And then we've got this room. Yep. Three. And Cowell. Oh, and Cowell. So there's four different vibes. Yes, there's four different... Again, we don't know what Cowl is yet. Um, While Harry is assuming he's human or mortal. Yeah, but I meant, is he he a a necromancer? Gotcha. But, well, he claimed he wasn't. And everybody tells the truth, right? Exactly. He read it on the internet one time. Um, But, you know, his his vibe here is that the working had been sloppier and more frenetic than Gravain would have done. Mm -hmm. 
and messier than Cowell would prefer. So again, these small character moments, he's kind of extrapolating, but it's important, you know, as an investigator, that's kind of helps you kind of find where you're, where you're get right. Thinking about what, not just thinking about what the evidence is, but what it could mean, I think. But it was strong, stronger than almost anything I had ever done. Whoever was behind the spell that had been wrought here was at least as powerful as I was, maybe stronger. And we meet a police officer, Rollins, who recognized Harry as the guy that helps out with SI sometimes. Uh, but he saw him upstairs and thought he didn't look like a typical museum patron. <laughs> Shocking. And you know, he asked what Harry's doing down there. And Harry says, just looking. I haven't gone in the room yet. Like, yeah, you can tell that from how I haven't arrested you yet. <laughs> I just like the confidence there. It's the assuredness. Mm-hmm. And Roland says that something do- doesn't, something don't feel right about it. Just, I don't know, sets my teeth on edge. More than usual. I've seen Nithens before. This is different. Yeah. It is. This something from down S. Osway? Yeah. Murphy sent you? Exactly. <laughs> Why are you here? Because I don't like things that put cops' teeth on edge. You guys have any suspects? Uh, he knows exactly what Harry's doing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like that, that line where he says, uh, for someone who just happened to be walking by, you got a lot of questions. And uh, Harry's astute reply. Just as sharp. Yeah, for a beat cop in charge of securing the scene, you were asking plenty of your own. Um, and he tells him he, he'd been a detective. with museum security. Yeah, that's, that's what he was asking. Yeah, it's a specific yeah, fair enough. kind of. He was doing an interrogation or, or an interview, a very thorough interview. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, for sure. And we learned that he has that skill set and that experience to ask those questions, to know what questions to ask, because he's been a detective a couple times and got uh, busted down. It's called where you get in trouble. Demoted? Demoted. A couple times. An attitude problem. <laughs> you know, and Harry asks if he's going to arrest him. And he says, you know, it depends on why. It depends. Why are you here? And Harry says there's bad people in town. I don't think the police can get them. I'm trying to find them before they hurt anyone else. Decides not to arrest him. And he tosses him an academic newsletter. And on the cover was the victim a smiling young woman and a young man with Asian features. It wasn't Lee Sean, um, like Irish spelling. It was Lee Sean and uh, Alicia Nelson, who we met, we met, they mentioned earlier. And they're, they were in town to examine Cahokian Native American artifacts. And basically, he doesn't out and out say that the assistants are suspects, but the line is like, good. The it's... assistants are suspects. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not many people murder strangers. Yeah. And they're the only ones in town who knew him. They came in with him from England. So Harry looks up from that newsletter and asks why he's helping him. He says, helping you? You could have found that anywhere. And I never saw you. And he explains why. And this is the second time we've gotten the name drop of Jack Murphy. I don't know if you know, you know if we get... <laughs> Sorry. Yes. We get Murphy's father name dropped, uh, referenced here again for the second time in this novel, right? Uh, Mort had a relationship with him as well. And so that's why he kind of agreed to help Harry. And Rollins says, when I was a young cop, I went running down the alley when I heard a woman scream and I saw something, something that 
something that's given me bad dreams for about 30 years. This thing strangling a girl. I push it away from her, empty my gun into it, picks me up and slams my head into a wall a few times. I figured Mama Rollins' baby boy was about to go the way of the dodo. What happened? Lieutenant Murphy's father showed up with a shotgun loaded with rock salt and killed it. And then, when the sun comes up, it burns this thing's corpse like it had been soaked in gasoline. I owed her old man, and I'd seen enough of the streets to know what she's been doing a lot of good. You've been helping her with that. Thank you. Don't really feel like losing my job for you, though, Dresden. Get out of here before someone sees you. And Harry asks, You heard about the Forensic Institute? Sure, every cop has. I mean, what happened there last night? Haven't heard of anything. Yeah? You sure? Sure, I'm sure. To which Harry deduces something's up at the morgue now because if there had been a grisly murder, the, the cops oh, would yeah. know about it. Certainly. So, as he's walking out, Rollins says, Hey, can you stop him? I hope so. All right. Good hunting, kid. All right. So, Harry has gone back and picked up Dr. Butters, and they are heading to the morgue. Um, they're driving in the SU, the borrowed SUV, and Butters is all fascinated by all the bells and whistles, and including the GPS. So we won't get, so we can't get lost. He turns it on and a calm voice emerged from the dashboard. Now entering Helsinki. Maybe the car is lost. Maybe you're interfering with this computer too. So kind of just reiterating the uh, Harry, Harry, good, computer, bad sort of combination here. Um, and so, you know, Butter says, I'm cool with hiding. We don't have to, you know. Ain't, ain't nothing, nothing about my ego. I'm fine at the hiding, happy even. And Butter says, I don't want to get killed or arrested. I'm really bad at getting arrested or killed. It's a calculated risk. Honestly, you get better at it after the first couple times. Oh, <laughs> we need to find out what Gravain wanted with you. And we're taking me to work? Why? Think about it. What would have happened if they'd found you missing blood all over the place and the building ransacked and Phil's corpse lying in the morgue or on the lawn outside. Fired, Butters said. Yeah, they would have locked down the building to search for evidence and they would have grabbed you and locked you away somewhere for questioning at least. So? Gravain cleaned up what happened at the morgue. It means he didn't want too much official attention focused there. Whatever he wants from you, I'm betting it's still in the building. We have to find it. Eduardo Mendoza, he asked me. Offhand, I can't think of any other reason for someone to want to grab your friendly neighborhood assistant medical examiner. That one was the only one that seemed a little odd. Harry, Butter said, if this guy really is a necromancer, a wizard of the dead, then why the hell would he need a plain old vanilla science nerd like me? That's the $64,000 question. And we have another reason, too. The museum doctor guy, right? I nodded at him, parked in the lot, said Butter's ruined little trunk. Right. I need to know what killed him. Hell, any information could be useful. Okay, so they, uh, they're getting ready to go inside. And 
The car starts selling him warning. The door is ajar. The door is ajar. I blinked at the dashboard several times. It repeated the warning several more times, getting a little slower and the lower pitched each time. Then droned into a bass of rumble, followed by silence. That was not an omen, I said firmly. Right, Butter said, replied in a faint voice, because the stuff is always messing up around you. All right, so they head on in, and there is a new guard on duty. This is Casey. Sounds like Casey works day shift, Butter works night shift, so they're just kind of ships passing here. This is uh, it's a total thing I've, I've done on many occasions. Like, hey, haven't seen you in a while! Because I work the opposite shift of you. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he introduces Harry to Casey. Butter's saying that he's there to, sign, to file some forms that he forgot, um, and he needs to get him done before the mail goes out. Otherwise, Brioche will scold him until his eyes bleed. He introduces him, Harry, to Casey and says he's a consultant for the police department and he's got to sign off on the forms. And so they head on back. And Casey asks, Doctor, did you see Phil this morning? Butters hesitated for a second before he turned around. He was there at the desk the last time I saw him, but I had to leave early. But I had to leave for an early dentist appointment. Why? Oh, he wasn't at the desk when I got here. Everything was locked down and the security system was armed. Maybe he had somewhere to be, too. Butters suggested. Maybe, Casey agreed. There's a faint frown line between his eyes. He didn't tell me anything, though. I mean, I have, I'd have come in early if he had an appointment or something. Beats me, Butters said. Okay, I just wouldn't want him to get in trouble over breaking protocol. You know Phil, Butters said. Casey rolled his eyes and nodded, and then went back to filling out some kind of paperwork. Casey knows something, Butter said. He suspects something. That's what they pay security to do. Don't let it rattle you. Which makes sense. Yeah, I actually don't like the, uh, even the dentist line. It's like, don't, don't throw stuff out there that you don't need to. Right. Don't give too much information. Clearly, he's not good at this part of the cloak and dagger stuff, because why would he be? Right? It makes sense that yeah. he would up there. Most definitely. Well, you know, and then he sees that his polka one-man band outfit is safe. And he said, man, are my priorities skewed or what? Everyone has something they love. So first thing they're going to do is he's going to see if he can get any, uh, get a look. Real quick, I just want to comment on the polka suit. So um, last week, during our intro music, I just cut in like a six or seven second clip of happy birthday polka music um, (laughs) to celebrate our, our happy birthday, I assume all people who work with dead bodies like polka because both of those are weird things and butters. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was funny. But the best part of that is earlier in the novel when he was talking about how the people he's going up against is the Jolly Rogers, five guys named Roger. How much polka can they have in their souls, right? Uh-huh. Um, the guy who was, was singing that birthday song is named Roger and had... I didn't do that on purpose. I was just searching polka birthday songs. Um, and it took me way longer than I would care to admit to actually get that (laughs) into the intro music and make it work. Uh, But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a fun coincidence. Sorry, carry on. No, that's great. Okay. So he says, you know, we want to get a look at, uh, we want you to get a look at Bartlesby's court. So kind of have an idea of what happened to him. And he looks up the computer and wow, Bartlesby's body got here about an hour ago and it's been flagged for immediate examination. Brioche is doing it. Is that unusual? It means someone really wants to know about the victim. Someone in government or law enforcement, maybe. 
Plus, it was pretty horrific. Brioche will get some press out of it. Of course, he took this one for himself. And so they figure out he's going to go have a have a look-see. And uh, someone would get, get suspicious if they saw you roaming around. If I need you, I'll give you a signal. What signal? I'll imitate the scream of a terrified little girl. He said <laughs> with a waggle of his eyebrows. Back in a minute. He wasn't gone long, and he came back, and he is tripped the fuck out. He said it was already stripped and laid out. Bad stuff, Harry. He had 30 or 40 stab wounds in his upper thorax. Someone carved his face up, too. His nose, eyes, eyelids, and lips were in a sandwich baggie next to his head. Someone had sliced off the quadriceps on both legs. They were missing. And he'd been eviscerated. Ow. A big X shape cut across his abdomen. Then they peeled him open like a Chinese takeout box. He was missing his stomach and most of his intestines. There might have been other organs gone, too. Ugh, I said. Extremely. Could you see anything else? No, even if I wanted to, there wasn't time for more than a quick look. Why would someone do that to him? What possible purpose could it have served? Maybe some kind of ritual. You've seen that before. I still don't get it, you know? I did know. Butters didn't have, an in, have it in him to comprehend the kind of violence, hatred, and bloodlust that had fallen upon the late Bartlesby. That kind of utter disregard for the sanctity of life simply didn't exist in his personal world. And it left him at a total loss, confronted with it face. It might have been something else. Anthropomancy. He walked over to one of the freezers, cracked it open. What's that? An attempt to divine the future or gain information by reading human entries. You're kidding. It's possible. Does it work? It's extremely powerful and dangerous. Anyone who does it has to kill someone and gets an immediate death sentence if the council hears of it. If it didn't work, no one would bother. That's really wrong. Wrong. I agree. I can officially say I've never had an anthropo anthropomancy. I can't say that word. <laughs> Case like that. Anthropomancy. Anthropomancy. Can't say words. I, I bet. You, I bet you've thought about reading entrails. Yeah, it's crossed I've your mind. Also, <laughs> never had parts of the face cut off and put in a bag. I have had parts of the face not attached, but never put in a bag. Now I'm thinking of all these cases I've had. And I'm like, maybe, maybe it was wizardy. Maybe somebody was doing a ritual. Now every time I see a case that's weird, I'm going to be like, it was a ritual. It could have been a ritual, guys. On scene, ritual. just telling the cops that. Guys, I uh, I think this might have been a ritual. <laughs> uh, wasn't that it? Wasn't that nine hundred thousand percent of the uh, satanic panic of the eighties and nineties? It's all a ritual. Uh, <laughs> so then he he pulls out uh, Eduardo Mendoza and says, "It might take about an hour and a half." Or gets ready for it, and he says, "I'd really rather do this alone." You sure? Just listen for a girly girly scream. You can wait for me up front. Butters locks locks the door after Harry leaves. Harry goes out to the waiting room area and takes a chair with his back to the wall, but where he can also see Casey's video monitor, the front door, video monitor, the front door, and the door leading back to examination. And he kind of puts his head back and sort of just zens out. Um. Over the next hour, you know, people are coming and going, and then. A young couple came in. The girl was about five, six, and pleasantly pretty, even without much in the way of makeup. 
She was dressed in sandals, a simple sun, a simple blue sundress, and a wool jacket. Her hair was cut into a bob, full of unruly brown curls, and her eyes were bloodshot with fatigue. The young man wore a simple, well-cut business suit. He was a little under six feet, had Asian features, wire-wound glasses, wide shoulders, and wore his hair in a ponytail. I recognized them immediately. Alicia Nelson and Lee Jeon, from the picture on the cover of the newsletter Rollins had given me. Dr. Bartlesby's missing assistants had come to the morgue. And so they tell Casey that, you know, who they are. And she says, I understand his remains have been brought here. Ma'am, we do not make that kind of information available to the public in order to protect the relatives of the deceased. The doctor had no surviving family or next of kin, but he granted me power of attorney over his estate two years ago. The paperwork is all in order. Hmm. Please, sir, the doctor had several personal effects which I need to take into custody as soon as possible. Passwords, credit cards, keys, that sort of thing. They were in his wallet. What's the rush? Casey drawled. Some of his... Some of his effects could potentially grant the thief access to his accounts and security boxes. As you can see in the documents, he wanted control of them to pass to me until I could arrange to have them passed on to the charities he patronized. Ma'am, you're going to have to speak to our director, Dr. Brioche. I'm sure he'll be happy to help you out. All right. Is he available? Casey goes back to see if Dr. Brioche is available, and she stalks over to the door and kind of, like, dramatically swipe, lays, leans against the wall. And uh, Li Zhang says, you know, back at any moment, we should sit down. Don't tell me what to do. I'm weary, not idiotic. You should get some rest before you do it. I don't see why you're playing games. You should have let me follow. Stop thinking with your stomach. It's bad enough that you lost control without adding a further lack of discipline to the situation. We are not here because I stopped to eat. If you hadn't indulged yourself, we wouldn't face this problem. Your attitude, Lee, is making you part of the problem, not part of the solution. The long-haired man went white and cringed back from the girl. His face rippled, a sort of slithery motion just beneath the surface of his skin that stretched his features grotesquely, causing a slight sinking of the eyes, a slight elongation of the jaw. He let out a gasp, and when his mouth opened, I could see the teeth of a carnivore. It happened for only a second, but I averted my eyes before he might have noticed me watching. If he'd seen me, I would have been in immediate danger. I'd seen a flash of Li Jian's true face. He was a ghoul. Ghouls are preternatural predators who derive their primary sustenance from devouring human flesh. Fresh, cold, rotting, they don't care as long as it gets into their bellies. Butters had said someone had removed Bartleby's quadriceps, the long, strong muscles on the front of the thigh. It had been Gion. He carved himself steaks from the old man's corpse. It's like flame and yon. Not a lot of fat there, right? Like, that is flavor. Uh, oh, goodness. So Gion recovered his normal appearance and lowered his eyes. He bowed his head to Alicia. Do I make myself clear? The girl whispered. Yes, my lord, Gion replied. Lord, I thought. My mind raced over the possibilities. Don't talk, Jian. Just don't talk. We'll all be happier and safer. And so Casey comes back, says it's going to be a minute, and she says that she will wait. It's important for her to get this shit now. And Harry pretends he just woke up, 
Ask Casey, hey, I left my cane in Butter's office. Would it be okay to go back and grab it? And Casey calls back, make sure it's cool. So Harry heads back. Hurry, I told him, glancing down the hall. We've got to go. What's going on? There are some bad guys here. Gravain? No, new bad guys. More of them? It's not fair. I know. It's getting to be like Satan's reunion tour around here. Is there a back door? Yes. Good. Grab your stuff. Uh, so they, he refers to, you know, he points, gestures at Eduardo. And uh, he asks, you know, if you find anything? He's got blunt injuries. And uh, not much more to that. And Harry's looking at this guy. He's painfully skinny. He's a little messed up. And he recognizes his face. Butters? What's this guy's name? Eduardo Mendoza. His full name. Oh, uh, Eduardo Antonio Mendoza. Antonio. It's him. It's Tony. Who? Bony Tony Mendoza. He's a smuggler. A smuggler? Not like Han Solo, I guess. No, he's a ballooner. I don't like Han Solo. He's got, he's got a hid, hidden compartments where he hides stuff. He does have hidden compartments. So basically, he used to be a sword swallower. So what he does is he swallows things in balloons and then attaches it to the back of his tooth. Um, I've never seen it with the string. I have seen people swallow balloons of stuff um, as smugglers. And so we find out that there is a little piece of something attached to his black back tooth. And they pull it out. And it is a thumb drive. They keep calling it a jump drive, which totally dates it. And I love it. Uh, it's just a little thumb drive. And Harry asks, can you read the information? Maybe I can try another machine. Not now. No time. We need to get out of here. Why? Because things have just become a lot more dangerous. They have? Why? Because Boney Tony worked for John Marcone. Dun, dun, dun. The plot thickens. Kind of makes sense because, like, Marcone's role is like having his fingers and pies all over the place. But I do love, I do love oh, how yeah. he pops up, you know, in the in the different places. Yeah. But it all, they, it's all kind of organic where he pops up. Yeah, like even in, in uh, Full Moon, right, where he was like an investor in a pro in a real estate project. You know, like, yeah, like things that you know a, a crime lord would be doing because you have some legitimate stuff to keep it all, um, you know. Uh, it's just funny, and I really like it. Um, I still, and I've said this before, uh, I think on this pod, but I've said it to anyone who will listen to me, uh, shaking my fist at a cloud, that, like, the fear or foreboding that Marcone is supposed to put in us whenever his name is dropped in the series, I feel like is more um, told, not shown. Like, I... I like, I love Marco. Uh -huh. And I get it. He's, he's not a good guy yeah. per se, but like, maybe it's just, di he's, a, he's a good bad guy. Yeah. But maybe it's different now, 20 years later of, of a lot of media with gray characters and anti-heroes and stuff. Uh, obviously Marco's not mm -hmm. a good guy, but I like his personality. He's funny. Um, and I, he, we've never really seen him fuck over Harry in any meaningful way. Yeah. But every time he does come up like this, it's woven in the story. Great. But it's always like this big, like end of chapter, like shit. John Marcone! Dun, dun, dun. It's like, I don't really feel that way. I'm, I'm always excited, but maybe that's just my, me projecting myself on the novel, but <laughs> I think we're supposed to think he's scarier than we've really seen, and maybe that's because Harry's seen in his soul and we haven't. But I think he's supposed to be more... 
I think, you know, because he the way he describes every time he physically describes Marcone, Marcone isn't a scary looking dude, but he is a scary dude where he's like a businessman. Eyes of crisp dollar bills. But he, yes, his eyes are always the color of money, which is interesting as well. But, you know, it's just it feels like he looks like your everyday kind of guy. But he will also just cut your fingers off with a cigar cutter. Yeah, I mean, he's a, a man. He's murdered plenty of people. He's not a good dude. Um, but yeah, it's just one of the things I don't love uh, as as they do it here. So this is a, a huge piece of evidence for us or for our detective here because basically, like I said, you know, a moment ago that he's got fingers and pies all over town, right? He's got a piece of all the action. Mm-hmm. So if someone's operating in Chicago, they're either going through Marcone or over Marcone's helmet. And in either case, he's going to know about it. Um, and have some information, yes. right? So it does move us in a direction of learning something potentially, which is good. We haven't had a whole lot of real evidence here or, or even a path to go, go down. And Tony was usually involved in moving, you know, with stuff you can swallow um, or keister, small items, jewels. Um, but he also moved bigger stuff like furniture. And so it doesn't really narrow down what it was that Tony you know, got in trouble for moving at this point, but it certainly gets us in the, like I said, it gets us moving in the right direction and we kind of needed a break in the case, which is good. Mm-hmm. So Harry doesn't want the flash drive because he's, it's going to just get, the data is going to be destroyed when a wizard is powerful as Harry comes mm-hmm. near it. So he wants Butters to hang on to it. And we want to, figure out what's on this obviously this is what tony uh, was killed for um this the information that's on this drive will lead to whatever merchandise he was moving and but apparently the computer in the office doesn't have a usb port um i'm assuming is what's happening here so it's a very old machine mm-hmm. so he says he can go check on another office but at this point harry just wants to get the fuck out of there and they can't go back to Butters' place because obviously Gravain was looking for Butters, so he's going to know where Butters lives. Gravain's the kind of guy that usually t- tends to do his homework, although he didn't know Harry. He knew his name. No, he didn't. At first, Harry, uh, remember, Gravain was at the morgue. Oh, Calvary. that's right. But it was interesting that uh, Gravain wow. didn't because everyone else seems to. One of those things that I, you know, I'm not really sure is super meaningful. It's just fun things to note. I like little facts. Uh, Um, so Harry says we're short on options and we have to go somewhere. I didn't want to go where a friend's come on. And as they're leaving, Butters grabs the polka suit. I'm not leaving it here for God knows what to to mess with, which I love again. Harry told him we all have our hobbies, right? It's important to have things. Um, and this polka competition is important to him. So get after it, Butters. They slipped out the back door of the Forensic Institute and made a clean getaway. And they headed back towards uh, the University of Chicago campus, towards Will and George's apartment. And as they're pulling up to the parking lot, Harry yells, hey! And we see Kirby, one of the alphas, um, had just naked humidified and then put on some sweatpants. And he said, did you spot me? No. But... Billy's always got someone on the watch outside when times are tense. Mm-hmm. Again, so they, 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 we saw the trust last week, and it's just like, 
this is why because billy's proven he's competent over and over and he knows what, how to survive these situations and you know that's harry's big fears is him getting people killed and so if someone shows that they're able to just not die like you, i don't even need you to do much but if you cannot die we're gonna be good friends so that's great and he asked him to park park the this beast for him uh so he heads up to the uh apartment and this is one of my favorite lines in the entire 17 novels and 23 <laughs> short stories we've gotten so far where Kirby's in the car, all the doors are closed, and we get the machine repeating, the door is ajar. The door is ajar. <laughs> Harry says, it won't shut up. And Butters says, it, it actually gets sort of zen after a while. Life is a journey. Time is a river. The door is ajar. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that is such a brilliant line. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no one comments on it. <laughs> Kirby gives him a skeptical look. And they turn and uh, Harry and him butters turn inside and go upstairs. Billy sees him, you know, says, hey. And Harry gets right to business and tells him he needs a computer. And obviously Harry has never used a computer before. So <laughs> Billy is a little bit wary of that. And uh, Butters shows him the drive and they go and use the computer. And they keep Harry as far away from the computer as possible as they get the information. Feel the love. Can I make a few calls while I wait? So he goes into one of the bedrooms and... Starts making phone calls. He calls Thomas. I love that Thomas was going to ignore the phone. <laughs> and just let it ring. But Mouse wouldn't let him. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Uh, there's one clever being living in that house, I think. Um, and unfortunately, it's not Mr. <laughs> there's, there's probably two. Mr. probably doesn't give a fuck about the phone. That's true. He's wondering why they keep bringing a phone into his house. Exactly. Any visitors or calls? No and no. Get some more sleep. And he grunts and hangs up. Well, he's tired. Remember, he wasn't sleeping when Harry slept the day before, so he needed a good, a good napski. Harry calls his answering service, and they leave voicemail. In this scenario, it's a little bit ridiculous that Harry has a problem with voicemail because you get their actual words and voice, which I think is important when communicating. But I do hate every automated phone thing. The AI listening to this, I love you in particular, but phone trees are the worst. Yes. But he, he's got a... Uh, just a, a voicemail basically nowadays and he calls and checks his messages and we get a freudian slip filled message from karen murphy she uh they landed in hawaii there was no problem with the hotel she gave him some contact numbers before so she, you know if you need to contact her she can call those and we hear her giggling and means to say plants but it says pants when she says uh harry's taking care of them and so they're uh, getting their bones bone on with Kincaid and having a gay old time in Hawaii. Maybe in Kauai. Maybe you'll see him uh, next week. And um, Harry wonders what to read into the fact that she left a message there instead of calling him at home. He says, probably nothing. She didn't want to wake me or something. Yeah, just thinking of me. Because obviously she was doing that just to not have that conversation while she was there with Kincaid, I think. And then he gets a message from Mike saying the Beatle will be ready at noon. I think the person with the most supernatural juice in this whole series might be Mike. Because no matter what happens to the Beatle, he gets it up and running in a couple of days, which is great. Again, competency. Harry surrounds himself with very competent people. And the last message is from Sheila Starr, the woman he met at Bach Order Books. He met via down the barrel of a gun. And... She wanted to ask him for a few minutes of her time. There's been, and this kind of sounds like how I've been describing the first two chapters of this novel. <laughs> there have been, I mean, I'm not completely certain, but 
I think something's wrong. It's just this queasy, this uneasy feeling all over the place, right? And she's specifically talking about the store. Hell, I probably sound crazy, but I'd really like to speak to you about it. I'll be at the shop until noon, or you can call my apartment. I hope you can come by the store, though. I'd really appreciate it. So she hadn't said it out right, but she sounded pretty scared. And obviously, you know, with the stuff that's going on right outside the front door of their store, it makes some sense. But, again, something's been off, all novel. And then on top of that, we get a chapter that, like, it's so much worse when he really spells it out. <laughs> About his yeah. machismo yeah. deal. Chivalry is how he usually refers to it, but it's pretty patriarchal, I would say. Again, I mean, part of that, and Lissy hit the nail on the head really well last week, and I think that softens some of the edges around this, that he doesn't like bullies and yeah. people, we, you know, the weaker sex, the weaker people he wants to take care of. And he does have that same instinct for men and creatures that are being taken advantage of as well. It's just not as strong. And it makes sense when he, you know, grew up in a patriarchal society and he, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of socialization. So I get it. Still not, doesn't make it great or super okay. But like I said, softens the edges around a, a smidge, but do better. <laughs> do better. Sheila, but Sheila was a girl and she was scared. So if he wanted to have any peace of mind, he was going to have to go talk to her. And it was 11 a.m., so she was still at the store. He's got one more number to dial, and he gets an answering machine with no message, just a tone, and he says, this is Dresden, and we need to talk. Hangs up the mysterious phone call and says, well, to Butters and Billy, as they come into the room to report, and Billy says, numbers, uh, more specific, it's hard to be any more specific than that. There was, there was only one file on the jump drive, and it was empty. The only information on it was the file name, and it was just a number. So he'd written down the numbers. There were 16 of them. and said, that's it. <laughs> that is spectacularly useless. So he's trying to go through what kind of his checklist here. Um, we know Gravain's still looking for butters. Marcone is probably looking into, you know, we know how highly he thinks of taking care of his own as much for his own selfish reasons as for them. But you know, when you get taken care of it, it works out both ways. So he's going to want to dig into Boney Tony's death. And we have the, the two assistants. And also he doesn't mention Cal, but we have Cal and then the mysterious other necromancy we felt in front of the pharmacy. So he's got all these things to worry about. And Butter's, thinks, but why do they need me now? We have the information. I don't have it now. I've given it to you. So like, I'm worthless. But of course, Gravain doesn't know that. Exactly. Gravain still thinks he's the key. So he asked Billy to to take him over to his place uh, so he can get behind the wards and have Thomas with his, uh, a refreshed and awake Thomas with his uh, scalpel sharp sword, (laughs) a shotgun and a gigantic dog ready to protect him. uh, If someone somehow got by the wards. And Billy agrees, but what, you know, worried about him, Gavin wheels, but the Beatles ready. So he's going to take a cab and he's would rather wait for the cab than have Billy go out of his way to drop him off because he wants butters to get behind the wards yesterday. Yeah. He wants him to be safe. Again, we see this all the time, but him sacrificing like he did with Bob, right. To make Bob more comfortable. He gave up potentially important information. Mm-hmm. We just mentioned money so many times that even taking a cab here is not, 
going to be good for him, but he prioritizes his friends, right? Which is great. Yeah, he really does. Going to do some detective stuff. He, he reminds Butters to knock and wait for Thomas. Do not open the door. Uh, but yeah, what are you going to be doing? Detective stuff. Places to go and people to see. And with a little luck, none of them would kill me. <laughs> All right. So Billy's apartment is only a couple blocks from Block Order Books. And so he said, while I could have taken a couple of alleys to make the trip even shorter, I kept on open streets where there were plenty of people. I didn't see anyone follow. But if there was a good enough team on me, or they were using veils to hide their presence, I might miss them. So he kept his shield bracelet and his staff at hand. And right, in case anyone tried some kind of variant on the old drive-up assassination. I'd survived them before, but the classics never go out of style. He gets a box in one piece. And he said, I felt sort of rejected, but comforted myself with the knowledge that there were at least half a dozen people in town who were sure to keep making my life dangerous. More if you counted Mavra, who technically wasn't a person. <laughs> uh, so there was were sheets of plywood on the doors from his his conversation with Cowell. And uh, it appears as though Bach and Sheila had been there all night. They were doing inventory, so nighttime's the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. Sense. End of the month inventory. And repairing the windows. <laughs> and uh, he's addressing, there's something I need to say to you. What's wrong? Look, I don't want to make you upset. Buck, come on. You've known me ever since I came to town. If you're telling, if something's wrong, you aren't going to upset me by telling me. I don't want you coming into my store anymore. Oh. You're, no, you're a decent enough man. You've never jumped down my throat like the other folks from the council. You've helped people around here. But your trouble follows you around. Which was true enough. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Not everyone can drop a car on someone who attacks them. I've got my, I've got a family. My oldest is in college. I can't afford to have the place wrecked. I nodded. I could understand Bach's position. It's terrifying to feel helpless in the face of greater power, more so than it is painful to be told you aren't want, you aren't wanted some. Look, if you need anything, give me a call. I'll order it or pull it off the shelves for you. Willa Georgia can come pick it up. But okay, I said. My throat felt a little tight. Bach's face got red. He looked away from me at the ruined door. Sorry. Don't be, he nodded. I'm just here for a minute. After that, I'll go. And so we see Sheila, and, you know, she apologizes, and and Harry says, no, it's fair enough. He's got the right to protect himself and his business. I don't blame him. But it hurts anyway. Some. I'll survive. And so he asks, so what do you need? I, well, I I had a strange experience last night. Go on. After all the excitement, I went back to the inventory in the back room, and Mr. Bach had gone to get the plywood for the windows. I thought I heard the chimes ring, but when I looked, no one was there. But, you know how when you go into an empty house, you know it's empty, how it just feels empty? Sure. And then he gets a little creepy watching her shirt pull up. The store didn't feel empty. I never saw anyone, never heard anyone, but I was sure someone was here. I was so nervous I could hardly think straight until the sun came up. And then what? It went away. I felt a little silly. Like I was a scared little kid or one of those dogs that's staring at something growling and then nothing is there. Dogs don't just stare and growl for no reason. Sometimes they can perceive things people can't. Do you think something was here? 
I didn't want to tell her that I thought a black court vampire had been lurking unseen in the shop. Hell, for that matter, I didn't even want to think about it. If Mavra had been here, there wouldn't have been anything Sheila or Bot could do to defend themselves. Again. I think you wouldn't be foolish. I think you wouldn't be foolish to trust your instincts. You've got a little talent. It's possible you were sensing something too vague for you to understand in any other way. Something was here. Maybe. Oh, God. I, I might be sick. Sheila, take a few breaths. It's not here now. And then she asks him out. <laughs> um, and she says, she also tells him that it must be very lonely doing what you do. Sometimes, always being so strong when others can't. That's, well, sort of heroic. It's sort of idiotic. Heroism doesn't, heroism doesn't pay well. I try to be cold-blooded money-oriented, but I keep screwing it up. You fail to live up to your ideals, eh? Nobody's perfect. So she says that, you know, since he's not going to be at the store, she can't really flirt with him anymore. So would he be interested in going to dinner? And um, he says, yeah, but I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> you think? So she takes a marker out and writes her phone number on his hand. I was just the phone. Then I was trying, I've been trying to figure out what the numbers are. And then it just on the thumb drive. I'm like, mm -hmm. what is this? Okay. And then it made me take a phone number and I was like, no, that's not enough numbers. But then I was like, wait a second, country code. No. Okay. So, okay. Anyway, <laughs> that was just my, that's how my brain works. I dig it. And then Harry turns around and Alicia and Lee Jean are facing Bach at the counter. And he puts uh, Sheila in the back room and to, you know, and tells her, don't come out. Alicia's asking Bach who bought a book and he says he doesn't, he doesn't keep track of his customer. She's trying to push and he is not budging. And Lee Jean says, perhaps you need help remembering. There was a distinct heavy click of a pair of hammers on a shotgun being drawn back. Son. Bach said in that same voice, you'll want to step away from the counter and my shop. It would appear that the good shopkeeper has taken sides on this matter. You're wrong, miss. I run the shop. I don't give information. I don't take sides. If I had a third copy, I'd sell it to you. I don't. Both of you leave, please. I don't think you understand. I'm not leaving here until I have an answer to my question. I don't think you understand. There's a 10-gauge shotgun wired into this counter. It's loaded, cocked, and pointing right at your bellies. Oh, my, Alicia said, her voice amused. A shotgun, Jian. Whatever shall we do? I ground my teeth. Bach had been asking me to stay away, but even so, he was standing there protecting my identity. Even though he knew damned well that the two in front of him were dangerous. So he... Send, sends Sheila off to go hide in the back room because bad shit's going on. And Alicia asks one more time, who purchased the last copy of Die Laird there, Erkling? Earl King. Earl King? I can't, sorry, I'm having it's, issues he's king of the He's king of uh, the like elf. Gob goblins. But uh, Earl King is what he, yeah. Okay. Um, I can't pronounce words today, apparently. So Harry sees what's going on and Alicia is doing some you know, she's got some dark power along her fingers. Tell me his name. I drew my will. I drew in my will, lifted my staff, and snarled, 
Bersare. And he knocks the ghoul through the plywood window. And he hits a building across the street where he hit with a crunch. Alicia was a little surprised. She spins around her eyes wide in shock. And Harry said, he, I love this description. Very cinematic. I stood with my feet spread. My shield bracelet was on my left hand, drumming with power and drizzling blue-white sparks. My staff smoldered with the scent of fresh-burned wood and the scarlet runes shone in the darkness at the back of the store. I pointed it directly at Alicia. His name, I snarled, is Harry Dresden. I love that. Very cinematic. Very cinematic. So there's an episode of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Season three. So what did come out before this? Uh-huh, because that would have been 2000. Third season of Buffy originally aired September 98 to September 99. It's a long time. Either way, um, there's an episode where one of Angel, the character's best lines, is uh, it's this exact situation where there's a, a demon like trying to threaten and torture people to get... Uh, information he says the man dude has my amulet what was his name and like angel busted and says uh-huh. his name is angel and he starts yeah. killing shit it's just game- same energy same exact energy and i love it uh but uh i just like that it's just a badass intro like i'm me let's dance and he does a little interaction here with balk that Harry seems to think goes over well and that Bach understands where he threatens him and says, you weasel, you're going to sell me out. I ought to kill you right here. Which what he's doing is trying to show Alicia and Lijan that he doesn't matter. Like, ignore this guy. Let's move on to our fight. And he thinks that Bach gets it, but I'm betting he doesn't based on. Um, Takes him a yeah, minute. How, well, I don't even think, I don't think he does. I think Harry just thinks he does. Maybe I'm wrong, but that was just kind of my read of it. Again, she's never heard of him. Yeah. But I must admit that you know how to make an entrance, Harry Dresden. <laughs> Took lessons. <laughs> what is that? Fuck subtle, where he kicks open the door in Stormfront. <laughs> he, does, he does have some good entrances. Or he does kick the door. He pours yeah. Ares the door. Because wizards are subtle and quick to anger. She says, give me the book. Why? Because I want it. Sorry, it's the hot Christmas present this year. Maybe you can find a scalper in a parking lot or something. It's the, it's the uh, Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> you refuse? Yes, Moppet, I refuse. I deny thee. No already. And something happens that Harry has never seen before. The store got darker. I don't mean that the lights went out. I mean, everything got darker. There's a low, trembling sensation that seemed to make my eyeballs jiggle a little. And the shadows simply expanded up out of the corners in dim areas of the store, like time-lapse photography of growing molds. And as they slid over portions of the store, he feels that nasty, greasy sensation of cold come with it that he felt back at the museum. And I like this effect that when the shadows washed over an outlet, like a power outlet, the lamps go dim and die out. Not when the shadow touches the lamps themselves, but when they touch the power source. I just thought that was an interesting little quirk of it. Of uh, this, you know, this would be tough to show cinematically. You would have to be like first person perspective or something. But it was just very interesting. 
They hit the radio and Aretha Franklin's voice fades to a whisper and vanishes. The ceiling fan stops. The shadows creep over Bach and he goes pale and starts shaking. He thrusts a hand down on the counter to keep himself up. But the only place that didn't get dark was over Harry. They're in a circle all around him, six or so inches away. The hellfire is smoldering in the ruins of his staff, more brightly in the darkness. There's a steady rain of sparks from his damaged shield bracelet. I take it back. I now have a pretty good visualization of this, and I love the it. Red. Ooh, and, the red on one side and the blue on the other. The blue and white, pretty red. Like like in uh, G.I. Joe, so you know who the good guys, <laughs> guys are. Boys are dumb. <laughs> We're a different creature. We, we need very simple things. There's a reason TIE Fighters shoot green and X-Wings shoot red, too. Again, this is a totally new type of magic we've never seen before. Does he use the word for mind magic? I think he doesn't, but we'll get there. Um, but it, it's... Normally, like, you know, combat magic is evocation. So this is a, a, you know, a new type of spell we've never seen before, mm-hmm. which I love. Anytime we expand the oh, yeah. magic itself, right? Um, it's cool to see the other stuff, but most of that is, is taken, you know, Fae and different sources that fantasy or myth that exist. It's just cool to see him expand on the original stuff, right? I don't recall ever seeing a type of spell like this in other, other medium. You know, I... I, I not as knowledgeable as some, but it's just really cool. Obviously, it's crazy powerful to do this over the, the whole off the whole store space. And Harry's surrounded by shadows. He's got his shield up, you know, shearing sparks out. He's got his staff, glowing runes with hellfire. Just a really cool scene here. It's nothing like the combat magic we've seen, right? The evocation, the quick and dirty. This is much more finesse. He says he doesn't even understand the way that it emptied the store of the energy, right? Uh, I love the description of it, though. Oh, it's incredible. This stillness was a horrible, hungry emptiness. Mm-hmm. Something that took its power from being not. It was made of the emptiness at the loss of a loved one, of the silence between the beats of a heart, and of the inevitability of the empty void that waited patiently for the stars to grow cold and burn out. It was a power wholly different from the burning fires of life that formed the magic I knew. And it was strong. God, it was strong. And he realizes that he cannot compete with it. And she says, I don't like your answer. That's too bad. If you're so upset about not getting a copy, I suggest you take it up with Cowell. You are with Cowell? No. I was, in fact, forced to drop a car on him last night when he tried to take the book from me. Liar. Had you truly fought Cowl, you'd be dead. Whatever. I'll tell you what I told him. My book. You can't have it. Wait a moment. You were at the mortuary. In the entryway. We call it the Forensic Institute now. <laughs> that might be my favorite line in this in this uh, chapter. <laughs> Just completely not, you know, unnecessary bullshit, which is Harry's true talent. And she says, you found it. You succeeded where Gravain failed, didn't you? He does a little smirk, but doesn't say anything, which is a very powerful tool. <laughs> Jenny, yeah. filling the gaps themselves, right? Lara mentioned it. Uh, Dr. Thomas rather mentioned how well that works on Lara. And she says, perhaps we can reach an understanding. 
Funny, Ravane said the same thing. You denied him? I didn't like his hat. You have wisdom for one so young. In the end, he is nothing but a dog mourning his fallen master. He would turn on you in a moment. The gratitude of the Capio Corpus, by contrast, is an eternal asset. Capio Corpus is roughly translated to the taker of corpses. And say no. No. <laughs> oh, too sorry. That was funny. I love, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Just in a different ma- in different way. But now he has an understanding why Li Shan had referred to Alicia as my lord. He doesn't fill in too much on that fight yet, but we'll get that in a second. But again, when a ghoul, a powerful magical creature, is bowing down to a seemingly human being calling it my lord, clearly they have tons of power, and this is kind of peeling back the curtain on that. And he says, assuming I want that gratitude, what price would it carry? Give me the book. Give me the word. Stand with me at the Dark Hollow. In exchange, I will grant you autonomy and the principality of your choice when the new order arises. I didn't want her to know I had no freaking clue what she was talking about, so I said, that is a tempting offer. <laughs> it should be. The new order will change many things in this world. You have the opportunity to help shape it to your liking. And if I turn you down? She meets his eyes, which again is a power play in, in universe here, daring him to get into a soul gaze. And she says, you are young, Harry Dresden. Is a great tragedy when a man with your potential dies before his time. He obviously dips out of the soul gaze. How about you turns his eyes away? There is no situation he wants to get that ingra- um, ingrained on his uh, mind. He says he's got to think about it. He isn't thinking about it, obviously. We've seen him do this before, right? But she says, by all means, consider it. But take a single step from where you stand, and it will be your last. You know, he, again, continues to flex like he has the word but doesn't have it on him. Threatening that she will never see it. Wouldn't I like to know, I thought. Wouldn't you like to know, I said. Kill me now, and there's no word. No new order. I can make you tell me. If you could do that, you'd have done it by now. Instead of standing there looking stupid. I prefer to attempt reason before I destroy a mind. It is a somewhat taxing activity. Are you sure you wouldn't rather work with me? The next paragraph goes into the gap in knowledge that the White Council has about mind magic. And we've seen that also with necromancy, right? That it's so taboo that we don't learn about it. And so when you don't learn about it, you don't know how other people are using it, right? And this gets Harry into some trouble here because he's using these standard mental defenses that the White Council trains, but because they don't investigate it, they don't study it, they don't realize how outdated it is. And she just rips his defenses to shreds. It basically instantly. And this is, he's, again, more evidence that the White Council isn't doing things the right way, necessarily. Um, We've seen that a lot, but just like, this is a huge gap, a huge chink in their armor, right? Like, this is a serious exploit that if he's doing what everyone else in the council is doing to defend against mind magic, and he's a really strong wizard, at least in brawn, that's going to be a problem if someone with powerful mind magic attacks. And she says, last chance, 
I mean it. Stay back. And before he can finish the word, she makes a ripping gesture with the shimmering fingers of her left hand. We have a big conversation about doing magic with your right hand. She's doing it with her left, right? It's totally different. There's a whirling sensation. She was caught in a gale. His feet started to slide across the floor to her. He leaned back and tried to use his shield bracelet, and it did nothing. Nothing at all. There was no wind, obviously. She was just basically pulling him to her. Rain claw. Yeah, like a scorpion. Get over here! (laughs) But with a mind, force pull, if you will. The same weakness in his shield that we saw last episode, or last novel, right? Where it's only designed for kinetic big gunshots and big elevators and stuff, right? Big physical attacks. And did nothing to the fire. It's doing nothing to her psychic attack here as well. Um, so yeah, maybe, you know, his mom was on to something, kind of studying the darker aspects of magic as a preacher. Learn about the dark side and make you stronger and able to stop it. He thinks the hideous vacuum wasn't meant for my body. It's targeting my thoughts. That's right, Alicia said. Holy crap, she'd heard him thinking, he thought. Of course, young man, give me what I want now and I may leave you enough of your mind to feed yourself. He gritted his teeth, marshalling his defenses, and she says, it's too late for that, boy. He does get one kind of punch in psychically where he defends himself a little bit. She jerks her head back. He says, is that all you got? And probably immediately regrets it. She attacks him again and his defenses start to crumble right away. And she says what I kind of mentioned earlier, delicious. After a century, they're still teaching the young ones the same tripe. Nishan likes the entrails. Young spring chicken. <gasps> Two entrails, reference the Suika. Lee Xian appears back in the doorway, all fucked up from the first array across the street into the building across the way. He was bleeding a bit, but he came in on his own power. And he asks, my lord, are you well? Perfectly. Once I have his mind, the rest is yours. Free your mind. Don't be... Sorry. <laughs> well, a little mind destruction, a little uh, being eaten alive. Not, not going to be Harry's day if we don't change some things up right away. Likely not. He tries to move to leave, but his feet won't move. You needn't bother, young wizard. If you take the attention you would need to free your feet, your wall will fail. Just open to me, boy. You will feel less pain. He knew he wasn't able to hold up. Like I said, I mean, he's just not strong enough in mind magic, at least. And again, she's got to be crazy powerful. We've already seen that. So he's not strong enough to win this battle. Certainly not one versus two. And he needs to get out of there. His wall is crumbling. She's starting to trickle in. And so we've seen Harry use Hellfire incidentally. Right? You know, Bob asks, holy crap, why are you using Hellfire? And he said, you know, he's not doing it on purpose. He's choosing. Yeah. Hellfire. Um, that's an important moment, I think. Definitely. But it's likely the only thing that could here as well. Yeah, and I, I think he might have actually done that with the par uh, earlier also. Maybe not. But this is certainly the first time he realizes it, that he's intentionally used the proper name for things. And if it's named something like Hellfire, generally it's probably going to have negative repercussions, but... Some pretty gnarly shit going down. If he wanted to live, he had little choice. He reaches down to the hellfire, floods it into his mind, and it immediately filled in the cracks in the wall with crimson flame. 
and where the dark sea of Corp Taker's will pressed against it, there's a screaming hiss of freezing water boiling into a cloud of steam. Corpse Taker let out a sudden hollow gasp, and the pressure on my thoughts vanished. He spun and ran for the back door. Corpse Taker still thinks he has the word at this point, but she sends Li Xian after him, and he's now in full ghoul mode. They kind of disguise themselves, we've seen with the uh, Tiger Lady from uh, one of the earlier novels. The what? The tiger lady, the uh, assassin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who looks, looks like an old lady, right? Lee, Lee Sean looks like a person, except when he kind of lets the crack show. But ghouls can, like, kind of stretch out. And that's what the cracking was. Oh, that makes sense. Because they're long, longer arms, you know, big teeth, large mouth and stuff. And, um... Big teeth you have, Grandma? Exactly. <laughs> um, he, as he's sprinting down the alley, he feels a sudden fire explode in his right calf. And he looks down there and sees a ninja star, <laughs> like, leash on a, an edgy sixth grade boy. Fourth grade boy, I love it. Fourth grade, probably. That was definitely not on my bingo card of how Harry would get hurt this week. <laughs> right? He gets his gun out and, and takes some rips, but nothing of any note slows him down. And he gets, uh... Which, isn't that how... It- with the zombie, with Phil, mm-hmm. didn't he shoot him and nothing happened? I don't recall, but he did say guns aren't going to do it. Basically, yeah. Um, and ghouls similarly are just super powered humans. Um, Corpse Taker, yeah. I don't think is worried Same about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Corpse Taker, I don't think is worried about gunshots either. She has to be able to do some sort of spell to protect herself. So, but something hits him in the ribs hard enough to knock him down. But the le- the spells in his duster prevented it from piercing him. And he looks down at a triangle of steel, each point sharpened and given a razor's edge, so that he learns that's what's in his leg. He says, all I needed, ninja ghouls. Just Japanese. They use Chinese. He's Asian. They keep referring to him as Asian. Asian features. A Chinese name, though. And the... Yes, it is. Person, the person at the museum said it was Chinese, but also could have just been a cover. Who knows? But he does hit him with a gun at least one time, but... It's like he's a ghoul. He doesn't give a fuck, basically. You know, I'm sure he feels it. Yeah. But he's still coming. Corpse Taker's going to get through his defenses. He has to get the fuck out of here. For sure. Or she'd open, she, she'd open up my brains like a tin of sardines, and John would eat them. Fact. He's hobbling out with his fucked up calf here, and she basically breaks through his defenses before he can get out of there, and his leg's killing him, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows it was important. But he's just stuck, basically. She's got his brain on lockdown. And they have it. She gets what was in his pocket and realizes it's numbers. It only has numbers. My lord, what is your command? <laughs> he doesn't know where the word is. He's useless to me. The book is in the right pocket of his coat. Take it, Sean. Then kill him. She took the numbers out of his brain. Out of his pocket. So she's used her mind magic to basically hold him in place... He doesn't know, you know, he's a little foggy and lost. She rips the information out of his brain that he doesn't have the word. He knows these numbers that she has now taken via the mind magic. And Sean is about to take the book physically. The Earl, Der, the Lee Durl, Ur, the Lee Dill, Der, uh-huh. Lee Der, Earl King. Huh? I can say Earl King at least. <laughs> After roasting you in the Easter egg last week, I, I think I'm going to have to leave that <laughs> Yikes. He uh, 
is taking the book and Harry's in some trouble. Yes. I think this is probably the end of the series. Harry's going to die. What do you think? <laughs> um, we have... Uh, oh, we got another chapter. 239 pages left. So... Jesus, it's going to be a long funeral. <laughs> I was pretty sure that Corpse Taker was talking about me. And I knew for sure that getting killed was a bad thing. I just couldn't figure out how to go about doing something to stop it. <laughs> Pretty sure. Something about my... That it wasn't working. And so... Jean takes a copy of Earl King out of his pocket and turns away. Corpse Taker is flipping through the book and he says, take him back from the street and finish him. Hurry. He's stronger than most. Oh, right. Corpse Taker was holding my mic captive. <laughs> That meant she was in my head. That meant she had beaten my defenses down. Just pulling those thoughts together made me feel stronger. My head started clearing, and as it did, the pain in my wounded leg grew more tense. Hurry, she said, her voice strained. Then he realized if Corpse Taker is in my head, it meant she could feel everything I was feeling, such as the burning pain in my leg. Well, so... He dives the shuriken a little harder into his calf, and she has a moment. And, uh... I love that. So his defenses weren't prepared to stop her. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't prepared to stop his just, like, YOLO. I'm I'm willing to take more damage than you are, and I'm gonna keep coming, right? I just... I love that. Which is so hairy, though. That's how to talk one of my kids. My kid, the last year played with us, but he moved to, he's going to a private school, mm-hmm. and so he's play, gonna play for their club, so he's done. But he, uh, he's one of the kids that I'm gonna give those stickers to. But he, uh, is like, in the new team, new program, the coaches don't know him, you know, like, it's, and he's not, he maybe is getting a fair shake, but he doesn't feel like he is, and mm-hmm. he's just, you know, he's on the, the Frostsoft team, you know, he should be on JV probably, but like, he, he's just not loving the polo part of it quite yet, but like, when you choose to go to a big private school, you're that's what you're signing up for. Yeah. And like, I, but, but he was on deck today at the end of my practice because his sister was starting the next group. And I was just telling him like, like, be you. And when the, when the coaches know who you are, you're going to, you're going to be successful, right? Just keep your head down and keep plugging and keep grinding no matter what. Cause he's stubborn in the good ways. Right. Yeah. Um, I just, that conversation. And then I was going to read through this section again today afterwards. It was like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good quality to have tenaciousness and just non no quit. I mean, but that's the thing, you know, it's just you got to take what you were going to take. And then he um, so then Harry actually uh, kicks at John's good knee. And he said, that's a nasty defense technique Murphy taught me. And one that doesn't rely upon raw physical power. The ghoul's weight was all on that leg. And the kick connected hard. There was a grinding pop, and he let out a spitting snarl. So Harry kind of scrambles out, and he heard someone shout. There were police sirens a block or two away. They were doubtless heading for Box Place after someone had seen me throw the ghoul through the plywood-covered window. Give them two minutes to sort out what was going on. Then I'd have men with silver shields and a strong desire to speak to the dead professor's missing assistants all around me course by then i'd probably have been dead for a minute 
The wounded ghoul, his face twisted, jaws lolling, lolling open wide to show yellowed fangs, came shambling out the alley. I heard a woman shout in the sound of high, furious, and totally unafraid. There was a whooshing sound, a spinning shape, and an axe, a freaking double-bladed axe, buried itself to the eye in the ghoul's flank. Just as it hit, there was a flash of light from a spot on the blade so bright that it left a red mark shape of a single room burned into my vision. There was a loud bark of, the, of sound as the axe ghoul. The creature was thrown forcefully to the sidewalk and thin greenish-brown fluids sprayed everywhere. And this uh, tall blonde, coldly beautiful blue eyes, drew a sword. <laughs> a three-foot long blade. And says, avant, carry on. The ghoul tore the axe from his side and staggered into a crouch, holding the weapon in both hands with a panicked desperation. He took a pair of awkward shuffling steps back. An engine roared and a gray sedan swerved up on the sidewalk. Avant, cried the woman. Then she raised the sword and glided toward the ghoul. He did. He won none of that. He ran. He ran. He dropped the axe and bailed. Howard, the woman sighed, clearly disappointed. She snatched up the axe and then said to me, Get in. I know you. Miss Guard. You work for Marcone. I work for Monarch Securities. The woman directed me. She grabbed him, shoves him into the car. And, uh, or try, hauls him up and he actually tries to get himself in the car. She helps. And, uh, Hendrix is our driver. And he's pretending to ignore Marco and sitting. But he describes him. He's got the eyes the color of wrinkled old dollars, as we were discussing earlier. He, Marcone asks, how serious is your injury? Do I look like a doctor to you? You look more like a corpse, he answered. It's not a threat. If I wanted you dead, I would hardly have come to your aid just. You must admit, Dresden, that I have just saved your life again. Your timing is improbable. In what way? Coming to my rescue just as someone is about to punch my ticket, you must admit, Marcone, that it smells like a setup. Even I occasionally enjoy good fortune. I called you less than an hour ago. If it wasn't a setup, then how did you find me? He didn't, Guard said. I did. She looked over her shoulder at Marcone and frowned. This is a mistake. It was his fate to die in that alley. What is the point of having free will if one cannot occasionally spit in the eye of destiny? There will be consequences, she insisted. When aren't there? Hubris. Mortals never understand. Tell me about it, I said. Everyone makes that mistake but me. Marcone glanced at me, his eyes wrinkled at the corners. It was very nearly a smile. Guard turned her head slowly and gave me a cold glare that wasn't anywhere close to smiling. Let's get to the part of the conversation where you tell me what you want. I don't have time for any more banter. So this is about Tony Mendoza. Basically, the story is that Mendoza is obviously one of Mark Bowen's men, and he, I will allow no one to harm those in my employ. Whoever murdered Mendoza must be chastised immediately, whether or not they happen to be necromancers. How did you know what they were? Miss Guard. She and her colleagues have outstanding resources. So she figured shit out, too. Harry says he's not interested in maintaining Marcone's empire. Naturally. But you are interested in stopping these men and women before they accomplish whatever goal it is that they are pursuing. You don't know that. 
Yes, I do. Because I know you, I know that you would oppose them, just as you know that I will not permit them to take one of mine from me without punishment. I glared back. I wasn't worried about a soul gaze. Marconi's basically saying, Marconi's basically saying that he knows him because he does. He's seen into his soul. <laughs> and he tells me, you know, he's not a hitman and I don't work for you. Nor am I asking you to. I simply want to give you information that might help you in your effort. You aren't listening. I'm not going to kill anyone for you. But you will go up against... Yes, I've seen what you do to people who get in your way. I'm willing to take my answer. I love that. Yeah. Then Harry realizes he has killed quite a few people and put her natural beings. It makes him a little bit sick. And so we learned that Mendoza was ready to retire. He had a, fi a final scheme to complete. They found a storage locker from 1945. Loot from World War II is what Mendoza presumed. And uh, Marcone got two Monets and a Van Gogh out of it. And there was an antique book that seemed to have access to resources. Oh, sorry. Uh, one of the people had approached he had approached regarding an antique book seemed to have access to resources that were well beyond the ordinary. This was Gravain. Mendoza asked for my advice on the matter, and you told him about how wizards are technologically challenged, among other things. The deal went south, so it would seem. Since Mendoza's death, I have asked Miss Guard to collect information on recent events in the local supernatural community. And she told you there are necromancers running around. Once that had been established, we attempted to narrow down the location of these individuals. So she's doing the same fucking thing Harry is. And so somebody at the Wacker location, one of his guys got shot. My man was mortally wounded and left for dead. That doesn't add up to necromancy. What caused the hotspot? That is the question. What he's having Harry do is he wants him to go talk to the EMTs. Did he talk to you before he died? He did. In point of fact, he did not die. But you said he was mortally wounded. He was, Mr. Dresden. He was. He survived. The surgeons at Cook County thought it was a bona fide miracle. Naturally, I thought of you at once. What else is said? Nothing. He has no memory of the events after he saw the ambulance arriving. So you want me to talk to e EMTs? Why haven't you done it yourself? Dresden. Try to keep in mind I'm a criminal... For some reason, it's quite difficult to get people in uniform to open their hearts. How serious is your injury? I'll make it. Do you think you'll need to see a doctor? If it's too mild a wound, I'll be glad to have Miss Gard make it look a bit more... <laughs> what a nice guy. Always looking to do favors. And so they drop him off near Cook County Hospital. Very well, Dresden. You have my deepest sympathies for your pain. So he's helping Marcone out again. The cycle. You can't get away from the guy. Seriously. <laughs> you like that uh, ending point mm. there? Kind of gets us going on the next chunk, but I just, again, this is what I was talking about, right? I love Marcona. And I know yeah. things are worse. You know, Harry's got things are automatically better. You know, like Harry has more information, um, he has another lead to track down. Mm -hmm. Really, no one got hurt here except for Harry's 
a little bit more of Harry Gator, right? The this idea that Marcone just immediately causes all the everything to go to hell is just not always backed up in the text, I don't feel. But again, he is a psychotic sociopathic murderer, so mm-hmm. among other things. So it is good to be aware of that, certainly. Yes. Jump into analysis here. So that first spot he went to where he had to park far out in a parking lot mm-hmm. money. That was the whacker spot. That was whacker. That was where he couldn't really glean any information from it yeah. until it gets brought back up and that, that thread gets cleared up or at least gets more information to it, right? Yeah. Which is great. Like kind of a meandering, you learn something, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot until you get a couple more pieces of the puzzle, right? Yeah. And that was that. That was Marcone's guy who got shot and then somehow a miracle and he's alive. Mm-hmm. As they tend to do. Sam, you like the uh, conversation or the descriptions about the smells and the mm-hmm. scenes. It is cool to know that they're pretty close. And A lot of it. Well, and it, it's really, though, the smell of blood isn't really sweet. It's metallic because there's so much iron in blood. You can actually smell metal. Gross. And some of the scents he's talking about, because he talks about how like it's like an ammonia smell. And, and death actually does have its own distinctive smell. But it's, I mean, it is very distinctive smell. Gross. Very gross. But the descent was mixed all through, sharp and unnerving. It's not really sharp. But the halfway between burned meat and cheap ammonia-based cleaner, that all makes sense because they cut open his belly. Gross. Yeah, it's a whole other smell. It's it's uh, the faint stench of awful, which is awful is innards, basically. Yeah. But it's interesting how he described the smell uh, because it is pretty spot on in a lot of ways, except blood isn't wheat well i mean the way people perceive smells and colors and stuff yeah. is, is different um that's true but yeah I, yeah but it's it's i mean certainly gross oh totally <laughs> totally but yeah no i, I can and just you know i and i do um i can totally see the blood pool with the straight line a sharp almost straight line marked where the corpse had been lifted probably peeling up the hem of a jacket or coat from where it had been stuck to the floor that happens with blood oh it's crazy. And the blood on the ceiling. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, it's better. But yeah. Yeah. The conversation with Rollins, I liked. Again, that's the second time this this novel that Murphy's father has been mentioned. Mm-hmm. And he also was brought up last novel where we learned that he was basically running a proto-SI. Yeah. The Black Cats. And so he had some interactions with the spooky side of the street. And this actually, uh, th- that interaction that Rollins describes is very similar to, in a lot of ways at least, to the first interaction of Officer Karen Murphy and the wizard Harry Dresden, where just a beat cop ends up in a situation with something above their head, and they don't really want to believe it, but they have someone that can they can rely on to help them through a situation, and they gain a newfound understanding of the world, for better or worse. Um, they lose the bliss of ignorance, right? But that's a... Uh, I, I like, I just like kind of like poetry. It rhymes. So we try it again. Mm-hmm. He's that ridiculous uh, George Lucas. It's not ridiculous. It's actually really a good description of what's happening. That George Lucas quote all the time because I, I love the idea behind it. Um, having similar beats and stories um, is just a way to connect it to the past. And uh-huh. I really like that the way that he does that so expertly. But that just, that really made me think of that short story, which is the first, very first introduction of, of Harry Dresden to the universe outside of butcher's mind at least mm-hmm. i liked how rollins was was a, was willing to like give him an inch but definitely not mm-hmm. break any real rules 
basically, you know, turning a blind eye, but not actually doing anything wrong, basically. Um, which is what all you want people to do, right? Like, help me, help, help me, yeah. help you. Help me, help you. But yeah, you got anything else on that chapter? A little bit. So we've got names. All of these names are introduced. And this is totally a nerdy thing. What kind of pro- what kind of professor do we think he is? Do we think he's anthropology? Do we think he's uh, oh paleontology? What do we think he's studying? Obviously, he's studying. It's got to be some sort of cultural anthropology, or he's an archaeologist. So. Yeah, because he's studying uh, Native, 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 Native American artifacts. Yeah, so he's anthropology, archaeology, something like that, right? Yeah, that would make sense. The other thing is, what is his connection to his assistants on the magic level? What do we? He's got to have some sort of unless. Some sort, it's, it's based on some sort of ritual, because we understand that, you know, ritual, there are native rituals, there are, you know, and that sort of, the general conception of ritual is something that's lasted forever, but I'm just curious as to, like, what the connection is, why he is a ghoul and some sorceress type in his employ, and is it just so they can get around places, or or he is dealing with the artifacts of the dead, the long dead, but still the dead. Is this something to do with necromancy? These are these are the thoughts that go through my head. Well, there's a there's a line here uh, in the next chapter actually that I was going to mention, but because it connects to this exact conversation, mm-hmm. where the corpse taker says, "Stop thinking with your stomach. It's bad enough that you lost control without adding a further lack of discipline to the situation." And the ghoul says, "We are not here because I stopped to eat. If you hadn't indulged yourself, we wouldn't face this problem." What did she indulge herself? In? The anthropomancy. 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 Yeah, that works too. Like, uh, anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Anthropo- Anthrop- an- an- anthropomancy on the anthropologist. Yeah. It could probably actually anthropomancy. Probably is how... And they're, they're from England, so they just added a bunch of U's and stuff too, probably. Well, they... they're But they're not English. Is she not? No. There's no indication she is. They came over with Dr. Bottlesby from England. Yeah. Potentially international grad students. That's fair. Don't act like you didn't call apartments flats for years after you moved back from. Nah. I can still say rubbish. rubbish. But yeah, so we don't know what that line means at this point at all. But there's definitely something. I think that line connects with your questions, basically. Okay. Um, What are their connections? I, The ghoul, I don't think we, we don't really get a whole lot of information at this point about how ghouls. Like, I don't know if they're flesh masks that they choose. I, I think they just look a certain way. Mm. So presumably there's a picture of Lee Xian with Alicia and Dr. Bottlesby. So it seems like the ghoul is in this doctor's employ for some amount of time. Yes. Whether he's just has an interest in Kogi and archaeology or anthropology, probably not, I would say. Uh, we can probably <laughs> lean pretty heavily into no. That's what I just thought, like, is there some sort of you know, ritual sort of stuff. Yeah, just so that... that I think it's also... Those are connected, I think. Um, but what do you got? Sorry. But also? I just Googled um, rituals of the Cahokia. Okay. Yeah. They became a center of religious devotion and trade. Ritual black drink consumption. Uh, I ju- just because I, he uses things intentionally. So that's why I'm just like, hmm, I wonder... It's just religious and symbolic behavior. Interesting. Uh, but the other thing, um, another word, nerd thing. Anthro is about human. Humanoid. Human-like. That's what anthro 
so and Mancy obviously I'm I'm is magic. So it's human magic. It's not human scrying, which is what the what it is. What they're doing is they're scrying from the innards. But I just thought that's interesting that it's anthro, which is it has to be a human. They can't do it with animals. It has to be a person. Yeah, interesting. So it was just again. Nerdy I wonder reads. if you could cheat and get like a half half baked version of it on something else. Um, like Harry Maybe. tends to do, you know, like <laughs> trapping toot toot and stuff. Um, yeah, skirting the lines. I wonder, but yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't make that connection. I mean, it's just you know, yeah, and that's what just a, an interesting scrying sort of thing. With it has to be human if it is anthro, you know, because anthro is specific. Yeah, it was the, it's the power of life for sure. Is like yeah, um, you know, the other rituals we've seen, you can use a an animal for it. Um, like to use the rabbit. Yeah. And, but also, obviously, sacrificing a human creates much more power because a human being has the will and yes. energy of their own. Most definitely. Anything else on that there? Um, I do want to talk about when they get back to. Uh... Not really. I, I mean, my brain went way too deep down the, the um, mm-hmm. rabbit hole of the connection and then the co- the rituals and things like that. And it was just, that's just where my brain goes because I was like, well, how would. How would they they fall into the anthropology aspect of it? Because you know, huh, well, I wonder. <laughs> One thing I do want to mention in the the section about the forensic institute uh-huh. is that Casey says everything was locked down and the security system was armed. Mm-hmm. Zombie field did. Yeah. As I said, Gravain can't do that because the security system. Yeah. So the zombie remembers how to. No, he remembers the security code. He remembers how things should look and right like. Muscle memory. But that's interesting that when you learn something about, I mean, presumably it is a an extrapolation, but it, it seems to be the only mm-hmm. reason that because Urbane can't use the security system. Yeah. So Zombie Phil somehow knows the uh, security code. I love it. And is capable of putting it back together. I just thought that was an interesting, funny little thing there. Bony Tony, just a convenient MacGuffin, basically, at this point. Yeah. Of the numbers. Murph Cade, any thoughts on her pants giggling? I think it's an example of her kind of letting go, but her having been basically butcher sent her to Hawaii because he can't tell her about this case. And he used that way. He's not affecting their relationship. Yeah. Because he can't tell her about the case. Because then Murphy would be an actual murderer. If he tried, if he, if he tried to run around with all that's going on to not tell her to protect her. Yeah, exactly. uh, She would actually kill him. Yeah. No, it is a good way to just sideline. Um, the character and, and that it, it takes away some of Harry's resources, right? With the cops and stuff. So it is, makes it more difficult on him. And again, just kind of fuzzying things up, just making it a little bit different than the other novels. Yeah. Uh, the numbers, 16 of them. I was trying to think, cause 10 numbers is a, is a phone number. I was thinking maybe it is the location of the, wait a second. Is it a GPS location? Interesting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Damn it. Okay. Um unless you do the north and the east, and then it's sixteen. Okay. <laughs> if you do the Dury's Minnesota sorry. This that's this is how my brain works. Wow, I love it. Phone number, phone number. That is like, oh, maybe it's a country code. No, that's not long enough. And then as we were talking about this, I was like, 
GPS. Yeah, I have no idea what the 16 numbers are. Okay. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and that's all I got on that chapter, really. A whole lot to think about. Yeah. He heads over to Box. And again, Harry's not super perceptive about how he's perceptive about his perception. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a more articulate way to say that, but you know me long enough to know I'm not I'm not the guy for that. But uh, I don't listen. I don't want to make you upset. I think Harry's underselling that line. Yeah. Like, well, because what, look what he did to the, the street. You know, he threw a car. Mm-hmm. And even um, Alicia says, if you'd gotten in a fight with Cal, you'd be dead. You're lying. Like, that, that you know, she is a, a big baddie, scary. Yeah. And she's saying that, no, 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 no. He's too powerful for you. Don't you know who I am? And he walked away, mostly unscathed. Yeah. Like, that's a gnarly yeah. situation there. That's a very gnarly, like, amount of power he has. And that would be terrifying. Yeah. That totally makes sense that it's scary. And so the Bach is just like, again, like how he didn't realize that pulling a gun on a, a woman in, at her place of employ is something that you can't just, like, immediately skip through. Although she seems to be dealing with it well. But he he doesn't yeah, she, get, she does. I think, how scared Bach seems to be of him. I don't want to make you upset, like. He's scared of Harry. Mm-hmm. And they clearly have had a relationship. Oh, 100%. For a while here. So, yeah. That's what I was saying. But we've never seen him at this store, so I don't really have any, like, I don't give a shit about him being 86, right? Um, but I think we're yeah. you know, supposed to feel that someone Harry, something that Harry, you know, one of his, another one of his tools got taken away, right? Um, just whatever. Um, and he can't go in and flirt, aggressively flirt with weapons. With Shield Star. Um, yeah. Good point. I love his entrance again. Let's say that. But the fight with Corsair was super cool. Harry is not prepared to fight on this level for the most part. But he, again, he didn't. Yeah. He, he didn't lose, really. I mean, he did give up the book and the, the numbers, but like he didn't die. So he, he, he can, he's a survivor. No. He's not going to give up. But he also kind of has been shown a whole other. Yeah, the bunch of crazy, crazy. The other thing, the wool's been pulled off his eyes to see this. Yeah, but... oh yeah. How many laws of magic did Alicia break in this book? So far, I have three. Um, let me look them up. Three, three things she could she could die from. Yep. Killing somebody, doing the anthropomancy, mind control. I mean, I guess the killing someone and the anthropomancy kind of go hand in hand. So yeah, I don't think anthropomancy by itself is, but she's the three acts that could get her axe. At least seven laws of magic. She definitely killed, uh, invade a mind of another. She hasn't reached beyond the borders of life yet, but she seems to be doing that. Some she's working on the necromancy. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet, but maybe she has time travel. Who knows? The outer gates, no. So, and she hasn't transformed another, but yeah, no, certainly she's on the list. Uh, of the one time you want Morgan to be around, he's nowhere to be seen, right? So, lying in Game of Thrones. And actually in episode, I think he mentions it in episode one of the show as well. But in a Game of Thrones, the novel, where the reason they have to kill, they have to execute a deserter from the Night's Watch is because that's the law. If you desert, you've sworn your life to them if you desert. But he says, he mentions to his son that like a deserter, because their life is forfeit, will commit any crime. Yeah. Right. So they're like, they're really scary people. We have to kill them. But that's circular logic, <laughs> right? Yeah, it totally is. 
And so I think you run into that with the White Council here also, where like, if you break any of the laws, you may as well just keep breaking them. Because I had a class that if you were late, you couldn't turn in any, any work. And it, you, it was the same threshold for absences and tardies. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, detention, my freshman or sophomore year at high school. Yeah. And so if you, if, if you were going to be late to English class... Don't show up. Just go home. Yeah. And I... Like, it's like the dumbest, you're making things worse by being so inflexible. But yeah, so like, you're right. She's right. She doesn't give a shit what law she's breaking at this point because she's already broken one. So there's no coming back from that. So let's, let's keep it rolling. Keep this party, keep this party popping. And that's all I've got. <laughs> the Marcone stuff is good. Um, I like that we still have a little bit of mystery on what happened on Wacker Street and Everything with the ninja star mm-hmm. triangle thing is ri- is ridiculous and great, and I no notes, <laughs> zero <laughs> notes. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, any other thoughts there? Nope, it's my correct thought theory. All right, uh, what do you have for quotes this week? Oh, I have a few. Oh goody, boy, howdy! I know, shocking. I have a few. Okay, most of the time, the investigation business is like that. You do a lot of looking and not finding cure for it is to do more looking which is kind of true professionally speaking you just look you look and you look and you look you lo- a lot of the time you don't find nothing gotta look also i know it's getting to be like satan's reunion tour around here <laughs> uh just on that last one there's a line in summer night where billy is like wants wants to do something right and Harry's like, like, tells him to go canvas, the, like the apartment building. And he's like, no, I want to do something. He's like, this is the, this is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is oh yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah. It's any, you know, it's true. There's a lot of do a lot of nothing. <laughs> is that it? No, I have one more, or two more actually. I was pretty sure that corpse taker was talking about me, and I knew for sure that getting killed was a bad thing. <laughs> And the last one is, what is the point of having free will if one cannot occasionally spit in the eye of destiny? It's a good perspective. Yeah, I agree with it. I mean, he is a guy that makes the, doesn't live in the world he's in. He chooses to make the one that he wants. I'm sure that's a good part of his core thesis, uh, using free will to spit in all sorts of eyes. <laughs> But yeah, those are my those are my quotes. What are yours? Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings up money a lot this week, just because things yeah. cost money. But he said, at this rate, I wouldn't be able to afford to protect mankind from the perils of black magic. Hell's bells. That would be really embarrassing. <laughs> I love that. Too poor to actually do magic. Too, yeah, too uh, poor he, to save the world. He does mention in an earlier book that enchantments are crazy expensive, so he does a lot of half enchanting. Yes. Uh, yeah. In the first book, he mentions that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the cost of being poor. Yeah. It's like a famous... Uh, it's a half-ass your spells. Yeah. Well, $10 boots will get you through the through one season. Mm-hmm. Or two, one or two seasons. $50 boots would last you three years. Yep. You know? But you don't have 50, you know, $50 to spend at that point. It's um similar idea. His, his half enchantments. Sucks to be a poor wizard is all I got. <laughs> um, uh, this one screamed to, to me at my core. I hate, I hated blood. <laughs> As a decorating theme, <laughs> I left something to be desired, and it smelled horrible. I love it. Um, and what are you going to be doing? Detective stuff. 
I have places to go and people to see. And with a little luck, none of them would kill me. <laughs> Again, just very dreadful. Oh, yes. Very, very. Good stuff. It's fantastic. Yikes. <laughs> what, um, you got any yikes thoughts? We kind of discussed it as we were going, where it's just like, not really so yikesy, but just, I really hate it when girls cry. Shit like that. It's like, Harry, come on. Yeah, I mean, that paragraph is not innocuous. Yeah. Like, you, I, I struggle with the idea that some people actually think it's innocuous. It's, it, it's really it's, gross and it takes away. Well, from, okay, from a female perspective. Well, like the way he views women and women crying is that we're children. That they're, that a woman can't take care of herself. That a woman isn't independent. Bro, I don't need to be rescued. Part of the, part of the thing about, you know, how we talked about it last week or whatever. Bully aspect of it. That's one thing. But this is just like, oh, I hate it when girls cry. And it's just like, there's a better way to word that. Yeah, and I think even in this novel, this just screamed like I, we joked about the incel energy. I don't. It's not. It's not like violent. It's but it's just not. It's not helpful and positive. Like it's it's really not. And it, it's it takes away their agency. Yes. You know the women are. Remember we talked earlier about kind of what the male gaze was really bad early is that men do and women are and like here fifty plus percent of the world he needs to protect right mm -hmm. again it's it's we talk about it as a positive part of his character. In a lot of cases, in a lot of ways it is, and obviously that makes him the hero that we love because he wants to take care of people and use his power for good. Mm -hmm. But that's a really problematic paragraph where he's describing his chivalry, which chivalry's holding a door for, you know, being polite. Mm -hmm. I, I, that stuff's great. You can be polite and kind and respectful, but that isn't it, in my mind, at least. Again, I, I don't love it. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm... And, and that's not to say all, some women probably like to be, I, I would love to be taken care of like that, right? Uh, like that's some people, I, I'm not saying everyone's feels this way or, you know, but it's very broad generalization. And, you know, obviously your lived experiences are real and valid and I appreciate that as well. So, but that's my thoughts. Also, you talked about his, while she's crying and opening up to him, he's, you know, again, it, it is hard every interaction with sheila is a little iffy yeah but i still think she's gonna die i didn't hate i didn't think that was as bad so um keep your crackpot theories in the crackpot lady speaking of this is me banging on a cauldron mm -hmm. the crackpot if you will <laughs> you gotta get us out of here with something good something juicy all right. Guess who it's about? <laughs> so, Marconis in the know. Why? I think he is some sort of wizard or some sort of preternatural being. And maybe he has healing powers. Because this guy was mortally wounded, and it was just a miraculous recovery. So, that's... Why Why would he send him to talk to the EMTs? No, no, no. I'm saying that re miraculous recovery of his guy that got shot, who was mortally wounded. Yeah, no, why... But why but well, why is he sending Harry to talk to them if he has he doesn't the have the information about what happened to his guy? But he had a miraculous recovery because he does. But he doesn't remember anything from when the ambulance showed up. So he doesn't know. Visa and MasterCards are 16. Oh, Thanks. sounds about right. Amexes are not. 
and it's confusing to write down because everyone reads them differently mm -hmm. over the phone when you're doing stuff for my day job. But Visa MasterCards four 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 four. Makes four. sense. <laughs> I actually had one woman read the credit card. It's not, usually you go one oh. two three four, five six seven eight nine one two three. Right, you're yeah. in blocks of four. She, she was doing twelve. Oh God. 23, 17, 14, 26. Like, it's just, I can write down, you know, two digit numbers just yeah. as well as the next guy. Not to brag or anything, but uh, it was just so off putting. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's all on. What are you doing? Like, people read their phone numbers 331 sometimes. Like, people are fucking weird. Uh, that is the things I've learned at my day job, <laughs> either way. Okay. I, I love anything, Marcone. You know, you'll never get any complaint from me over uh, keeping him on the front burner. Awesome. So this week, we are going to do that extra chapter, right? There's a, what is it, 43 chapters, I think, in this one. So we knew one week we'd have to do a seven, and we're going to pick this week to do it. So we're going to get through chapter 25 of Dead Beat, getting right through into Act 2, I guess. This kind of, this does all the setup, and now we start solving the crime. I'd say we're firmly starting in Act 2 here of our tale, and very excited to keep going through it with you, Liz. I love the theories. I love the right ones. I love the wrong ones. I love the I love the kitty ones. So keep those coming. We had news on last week's pod that our very own Patreon page has finally gone up. And check it out again. Really, all we can do for you at this point: put one podcast out a week, and we we get get it to you a day early for all our subscribers. And out, I love that people have already reached out and done that. And you are like the coolest human beings possibly alive. I don't know how you do it, um, but I'm very excited for that. And like I said last week, um, and we did it for the ad for this week, that after three months as a subscriber, we'll shoot you off a uh, custom bookmark. Probably a dick mark, unless you really don't want a dick mark, which in which case, weird. But uh, we'll get you something for your uh, troubles there. We, we really do appreciate it, though, guys. Honestly, you know, trying to talk my sister into doing this, I mostly just wanted her to read <laughs> these novels and if a a couple people listening the first couple weeks was really cool. And to see it, you know, beyond what I was expecting and could hope for, I'm very excited to keep doing this. So thank you so much. And uh, anything, uh, always open to suggestions and ideas. And uh, I actually, uh, I can only do it on Spotify, but I put out a, like a, they asked, the default question is, did you enjoy the podcast this week? But you can customize it. So last week, my, the question I asked was, who do you think Dresden in the woods or Dresden was meeting with in the woods? Was it, a, was it just a dream? B, was it Malcolm, Harry's dad? Uh, actually, Harry's dad. Do you think it was Lashiel invading his mind? Or do you think it was somebody else? Something else, some other explanation. So I'm going to try to get a question out each week. I think that'll be a, a fun project and add things for me to think about. Again, any engagement, it just helps. Yeah. Spotify bump us, you know, very closer up the list. We're not anywhere close to page one or anything like that, but... If you're enjoying the pod, just, again, even a token answer to that just raises the engagement and stuff. Um, if you can give us a like, please do. And um, lie if you have to. Pretend you like us for one click. Uh, but just keep downloading. And again, if you want to hop on the Patreon, uh, support the pod. It's so cool that people are doing that. Really appreciate it. It's five bucks a month. You get a pod a day early. We'll get you a bookmark. And um, a, the world famous dick mark. And uh, we're from our, our friends over at 13 Star Designs. <laughs> having to take care of us and uh very excited about that so thank you guys so much for all the support no i, I mean it's just it's awesome that y'all listen to us and interact with us it's a great time yeah you know the gmail 
the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. Podcast was on fire at gmail.com. And uh, all the stuffs. We're not, I haven't checked the X since a while. I do have a Mastodon that I'm, when I remember to go on that, I do. Lissy's been great with Facebook. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to just make it as available as possible. We would love it if you, for your support on the Patreon. If, if you can't, don't. Listen to it on Sunday. We really appreciate that as well. Subscribe. So you it know. means a ton. Yeah, follow us. Um, follow us on Facebook. Again, I I don't care. I'm not trying to be famous or get rich. I just want people to talk about the Dresden Files. That's really what I was getting into it. And so I'm, I'm super excited that we get to do this every week. Lissy's going to Hawaii for a week. I am not doing that. I'm working like a slave, <laughs> grinding away. And I actually, uh, actually, I'm going out of town for a interview um, in Seattle. So we'll see how that goes. We're just gallivanting all over the place here. But we appreciate you. And I wouldn't want to do a podcast for anybody else. Thank you guys so much. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. At the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. And we have another reason, too. The museum doctor guy, right? Right. I need to know what killed him. Sorry, you cut out on that quote. You've been cutting out, too. I don't know if it's... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a, the Wi-Fi connection or what. But I figured that you would just... That it was just... Because you said it was fine on your end when you listened to it. Yeah, I'm hoping so. But, um, like, you, like, completely went out for two seconds there. Again, I, I, oh. I'm guessing it's something. something yeah, because you went out... I, well, I don't... I don't even know what part of the quote. Um, that's a $64,000 question, I said. Right, no, right, be- right before that, what he asked. Little old B or whatever. He- oh, because I, I did stop for a minute, a second.